This is Commission Vice President Toshiko Hasegawa convening the regular meeting of October 24, 2023. The time is 10.31 a.m. We're meeting in person today at SeaTac International uh, Airport Conference Center and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners Calkins, Fallaman, and Mohammed, who are currently gathered in an executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. Commissioner Cho is absent and excused from the meeting. We'll now recess into executive session to discuss one item regarding litigation or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 42.30.110 section 1A and collective bargaining per RCW 42.30.1404 for approximately 30 minutes and separately one item regarding litigation or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 42.30.110 section 1A for approximately 30 minutes and will reconvene into public session at 12 noon. Thank you. And then, Madam Commission President, just one correction. I understand just from um, Aaron Pritchard just a few minutes ago that Commissioner Cho may be joining the executive session. Virtually? Yes. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. We are in recess. This is Commission Vice President Toshiko Hasegawa reconvening the regular meeting of October 24th, 2023. The time is 12.06 p.m. We're meeting in person today at Seattle Tacoma International Airport Conference Center. Clerk Hart, please call the roll of all the commissioners in attendance. Thank you, Madam Commission President. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Here. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman is in the building and I am assuming will be joining us shortly. Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Present. Thank you. You do have a quorum. Thank you. A few housekeeping items before we begin. For everyone in the meeting room, please turn your cell phones on to silent. For anyone participating on Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please also keep your cameras off unless you're a member of the commission or the executive director participating virtually, or if you're a member of staff in a presentation and are actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission during public comment may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak, and we'll turn them back off again at the conclusion of their remarks. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your devices. Please also remember to address your request to be recognized to speak through the chair and wait to speak until you have been recognized. You'll turn your microphones on and off as needed. All of the items noted here will ensure a smoother me meeting. Thank you so much for your cooperation. All votes today will be taken by the roll call method, so it's clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. We are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people with whom we share the commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time at the port's website and may be rebroadcast by King County Television. Please stand or join us now for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The first item of business today is the approval of the agenda. 
As a reminder, if a commissioner wishes to comment for or against an item on the consent agenda, it is not necessary to pull the item from the consent agenda. Rather, you may offer support or opposing comments later in this meeting once we get to the consent agenda. Please wait until the motion to approve the consent agenda um, in order to make your comments. However, it is appropriate at this time if a commissioner wants to ask questions of staff or wish to have a dialogue on a consent agenda item to request that the item be pulled for a separate discussion. So with that, commissioners, are there any items to be pulled from consent or any motions to re rearrange the orders of the day? Yes, Commissioner Fellman. Um, yeah, I'd like to have uh, item 10, 8, 8H, um, any item that has a cost of $200 million seems to need to have at least some public airing. And uh, so this current request is $50 million. I mean, yeah. Um, so just, and, and there's talking about, as, you know, paving, but there's associated utilities and things like that. I just think it's uh, too big a number not to have some discussion. Okay, very well. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Fellman has pulled item 8H from the consent ag uh, agenda. Are there any other items to be pulled from, um, from the consent agenda? Any motions to rearrange or, um, proceedings of the day? So now the question is on approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to pr approve the agenda as amended? So moved. The motion has been made and seconded by Commissioners Muhammad and Calkins. Uh, is there any objective uh, objection to approval of the agenda? And seeing none, it is approved. So we have no special orders of the day, which means that um, we can move into our executive director's report. Executive Director Metric, take it away. Vice President, thank you. How's it going? Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. In between meetings, I spent the last week at the Global Maritime Forum Summit in Athens, Greece, and I'd like to just talk about that for a second. The summit was an incredible opportunity to be with like-minded industry leaders and other stakeholders across the maritime industries, especially our sister ports in Singapore and Rotterdam. In the wake of this summer's International Maritime Organization's commitments to maritime decarbonization, there was significant discussion at the GMF of what will be needed to advance zero emission fuels from a policy, technology, and partnership level. In particular, there was great discussion about of green corridors, and it was, it was um, a really good opportunity to learn more about how our international partners are pursuing their parallel efforts and look for lessons learned between us. And I look forward to sharing more about the detailed takeaways about this with you all at a later date. In other maritime news, while our 2023 cruise season is not yet over, I'm very pleased to share that it was our most successful ever, with an es estimated 1.7 million revenue passengers. Considering that the season, which ends on October 30th, was projected to see 1.4 million passengers, this is quite a milestone. There'll be much more in our end of season recap, but I want to thank the incredible maritime and aviation staff and partners who helped facilitate this record-breaking year. Of course, we measure our success in crews not only on the economic impact, but how we continue to lean into sustainability and decarbonization. To that end, we can all celebrate the great news from the last week that the Pacific Northwest was selected by the U.S. Department of Energy to be a regional clean hydrogen hub, eligible to receive $1 billion um, in federal funding to pursue development and implementation of green hydrogen as an energy source. Congratulations to our partners. 
uh, the Northwest Seaport Alliance who have funded projects as part of this hub. And special thanks to the Port's Senior Environmental Program Manager, David Fujimoto, for his efforts to represent the Port of Seattle in this important work. Moving in today's commission meeting, and I'd like to highlight a few items. On the consent agenda, we have a project that will replace two out, uh, outdated flat con configuration baggage carousels with more modern slanted configuration units. This replacement will free up additional square footage in our constrained airport that can be used for tenant space build-out. We also have phase four of our passenger loading bridges. These are critical and essential infrastructure for operating an airport and are part of our continuing effort, effort at renewal and upgrading our facilities. And also, I, I'm going to comment here, this is pulled from the agenda, but we had on the consent agenda, now pulled into the agenda, is our next phase of our aviation pavement program. These multi-year programs continue to ensure airfield pavement and utility assets are managed in a safe and effective fashion. Maintaining this infrastructure is critical and essential for airport operations. And I want to give special thanks to the great work of the aviation finance team who have been incredibly successful in securing federal grants for these projects. In developing this uh, proposed plan of finance, um, moving, to, uh, moving to the next subject there, which is our proposed tax levy and plan of finance, and in developing this proposed plan of finance, which we'll be discussing later uh, in the program, we've been focused on how to make historic and strategic investments in port infrastructure, programs, and our workforce and communities, while simultaneously ensuring the financial responsibility and sustainability of our organization. After today's briefing, the propo full proposed budget will be released to the public on Thursday with a press release and interactive website in advance of the first reading at our next commission meeting. So, commissioners, this concludes my remarks. Thank you, Executive Director Metric. And that brings us to the um, committee report section of our agenda. And, and I'd like to welcome Commission Strategic Advisor Erica Chung to provide the report. Ah, oh, she's online. Good afternoon. Uh, hello. Good afternoon, uh, Vice President Hasegawa, Commissioners, Executive Director Metric. I have three committee reports for you today. On October 17, Commissioners Mohammed and Calkins convened the Aviation Committee. The committee discussed aviation dining and retail opportunities coming available in the near term and the timeline for opportunities into the future. Also on October 17, Commissioners Hasegawa and Calkins convened the Equity and Workforce Development Committee. Commissioners heard an update on the Youth Maritime Career Launch Program and gave their input as to ways to further diversify the applicant pool and keep employees engaged in the program. OEDI and budget staff also presented to commissioners on the course equity and budgeting efforts. Commissioners checked in on staff's capacity to administer the program and heard that work done in prior years has streamlined the efforts this year. Also on October 17, the Portwide Arts and Culture Board met with Commissioner Cho attending. The board was introduced to Tamar Benziri, Benziri, excuse me, the newest, uh, newest public member to the board and discussed the terms and process of onboarding new members. 
The board also received a briefing on AV ARC funding authorization for 2024, discussed the board's work plan for 2024, and an update of remaining projects for 2023. A couple of events uh, that are coming up include a one-night event featuring Neon by Kelsey Fernkoff in collaboration with Pilchuck School of Glass at the SCA Cell Lot Hill 10 on Saturday, November 4th from 5 to 9 p.m. And new icons, portraits of burn survivors art by Grace Athena Float and reception at Pier 69 on December 19, 2023 at 4 p.m. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you. Does anybody have any questions for Erica? All right. Moving forward, we are now at the public comment section of our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the Commission in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, we'd like to review our rules for in-person and virtual comment. Clerk Hart, please play the recorded rules. The Port of Seattle Commission welcomes you to our meeting today. As noted, public comment is an important part of the public process, and the Port of Seattle Commission thanks you for joining us. The Commission accepts in-person, virtual, and written public comment regarding matters related to the conduct of port business. Before we proceed, here are the Commission's public comment rules of procedure for your information. Each commenter will have two minutes speak and should stay within the allotted time. A timer will I think that video just turned out. And a buzzer will sound at the end of the two minute period for each speaker. The commission reserves the right to receive comments specifically related to the conduct of court business. If comments are not related to the conduct of court business, the presiding officer will stop the speaker and ask that comments be kept to matters related to the conduct of court business. This rule applies to both introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed to the commission as a body and not to individual commissioners. Disruptions of commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include but are not limited to the following. Refusal of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of port business. Threats and abusive or harassing behavior and language. Obscene language and gestures. Refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for the individual speaker's public comment. Leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach commissioners or staff during one's public comment provided speakers may offer written materials to the commission clerk, and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Any disruption will result in a speaker's microphone being immediately shut off by the presiding officer and a warning or loss of speaking privileges or removal from the meeting room may occur as provided in the commission's bylaws. Written materials provided to the clerk will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually, as well as from anyone who has joined us today here in the meeting room. 
When your name is called, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself, then please repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of court business. You may turn on your camera at this time. The two-minute timer will then begin. If you're on the Teams meeting and at the same time streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. When you have concluded your remarks, you may again turn off your camera and mute your speaker. If you are speaking from the meeting room, please come to the testimony table, repeat your name for the record, and state your topic related to the conduct of court business. Our public comment period will now commence. Thank you again for joining us today. Wonderful. So we do have some folks signed up to provide uh, public comment, and Clerk Hart will guide us through. Thank you. Give me just one moment here. Thank you, Madam Commission Vice President. I will alternate between our virtual speakers and our in-room speakers today, and we will begin with the in-room speaker, um, Andrew Schiffer. And Andrew, if you would repeat your name for the record and state your um, topic related to the conduct of court business for us, please. Thank you. Sure. Hello, uh, my name is Andrew Schiffer, um, and I'm here to give public comment on agenda item 10B, 8th Avenue South Gateway Park North Memorandum of Agreement with City of Seattle. Um, I'm a resident of Georgetown and a member of the Port Community Action Team. The residents of the Georgetown neighborhood of Seattle have been advocating for this space known as Gateway Park North to be transformed into an accessible shoreline park space for over 40 years. This partnership between the port and the city has been built over many years and this next step forward with the city leading and the port contributing funds for design and permitting is a crucial aspect of this project actually coming to fruition. So we, the community, are in support of this proposal. I want to thank the port for following through with this next step in the process of making an accessible shoreline park in Georgetown a reality, as was originally agreed upon in the Duwamish Valley Community Benefits Commitment. I also want to acknowledge that this is an intermediate step for design and permitting, and that to fulfill its commitment, the port will need to follow through this project all the way to the construction phases currently projected for 2026. I would like to thank the port staff, John Sloan, Daniel Butsick, and George Blomberg for all their hard work and contributions on this project, as well as the Georgetown Youth Council for continuing to keep the community and the port involved in this project. Thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. Our next speaker is virtual, and it is Jake Bookwalter. Jake, if you could repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Hello, my name is Jake Walker. I will be speaking on item 10B related to 8th Avenue South funding and a memorandum of agreement with the city of Seattle. I am a lifelong resident of Georgetown and I've been going to Gateway Park North since I was a kid. Even as a kid, I realized that something wasn't right with the park. It didn't look like other parks that I visited with my family. It frankly looked like it hadn't been invested in and there was never anyone there, which is not right because as you may know that is currently georgetown's only river access only public green river access and as such we deserve a sorry i got sidetracked apologies we deserve as a community we deserve river access and currently much of the community doesn't know that gateway park north exists with the georgetown youth council i have organized 
cleanups at the park and we have had community come out and they've seen the park and they've acknowledged that it is a beautiful space and that as a community we deserve to have that space for the community and for us to access and recreate on the river. Um, this is a critical next step forward from the Port of Seattle to commit to working with the city and as such, as a member of the community, I support it. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Our next in-house speaker is Iris Antman. Iris, please repeat your name for the record and your topic related to the conduct of port business. Thank you. It is, yes. Good afternoon. My name is Iris Antman, and I'm a member of Seattle Cruise Control, here to speak about the harms of cruise. Cruise ships pollute our waters and air, endanger community health, jeopardize our climate, overwhelm destination communities and infrastructure, and exploit onboard workers. It's time the Port of Seattle acts now to reduce these harms. <clears throat> the world is changing all around us. We are experiencing global warming, resulting in increased wildfires, droughts, flooding, and so much more. And what is the Port of Seattle doing? promoting more cruises. This is not what is happening across the globe, where citizens and their cities are pushing back. They are saying no. Venice, Italy placed a ban on large cruise ships in 2021. Monterey, California City Council voted to ban cruise ships. Houston, Texas in 2016 stopped welcoming cruise ships into its harbor. Key West, Florida voted in 2022 to allow only one cruise ship per day. Amsterdam City Council has voted to ban cruise ships. Barcelona's regional government last year said it will limit cruise liners arriving at what was once Europe's busiest cruise terminal. In Marseille, one of Europe's biggest cruise ports, more than 52,000 people have signed a petition to ban polluting cruise ships from the city. Bar Harbor, Maine successfully passed citizen initiatives to limit disembarking passengers to 1,000 per day. Charleston, South Carolina, ousted repeated environmental offender Carnival, the largest cruise ship company in the world, from using it as a home port. And La Rochelle, uh, France, is reducing cruise ship sailings to meet their climate goals. Cities and citizens are pushing back against the harms of cruise. They are saying no. And what is the Port of Seattle doing? Promoting more cruises. There's something terribly wrong with this picture, and only you can fix it. Please stop promoting more cruises. It's time to cap and reduce cruise sailings. Thank you very much. Thank you, Iris. Our next virtual speaker is JC Harris. JC, if you're on the line, please repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. My name is JC Harris, and the topic is the tax levy. Commissioners, it's with a heavy heart every year I hear the annual discussion of your tax levy. Despite your claims to be the most progressive commission in so many years, in fact, the tax levy is evidence that things are actually getting less equitable for cities like Des Moines. The optics on projects like the wind farm sound fabulous, but for airport communities, they are a distraction. You continue to make more revenue, but the amount coming back to communities like Des Moines actually declines. The tax levy is particularly onerous to Des Moines for two reasons. 
As you well know, you take the lion's share of that money to pay off your bonds. We literally pay you to expand the airport and increase the noise and pollution. And then the tiny percentage of that levy which provides grants for economic and environment is simply a redistribution of our own money. And much of it is left on the table because there are often not groups to even apply. The biggest mitigation you could make in a stroke of a pen for communities like Des Moines would be either A, simply give us the same deal that you give the city of SeaTac, or B, just rebate our share of that tax levy. Okay? Just don't take the money in the first place. First of all, we wouldn't have the insult of punching ourselves in the face with your development. And second of all, it would re completely remove the whole Rube Goldberg of administrative costs. The lifeblood of any community like Des Moines is structural revenue, not grants. You can provide that to us, predictability. And last but not least, we know the needs of our community better than you ever will. So one wonders why we all just, you just can't stop trying to do that. Um, please help us with that. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you, JC. Our next speaker in-house is Michael Carter. Michael Carter. Okay, we'll come back to Michael. Going back to our virtual list, um, the speaker is Ian Bright. Ian, if you're on the line, please go ahead and repeat your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business, please. Hello, I'm Ian Bright. Um, I'm gonna talk about uh, item 10B, uh, 8th Avenue South, or as we call it, Gateway Park North. Um, I'm uh, the co-founder with Jake and uh, the current program coordinator. So I first wanted to re-highlight the importance of having access to water in Georgetown. Uh, and since in Georgetown is such an industrial area, uh, the importance of green spaces is elevated. Uh, the Georgetown Youth Council has been working on Gateway Park North for four years, but the community has been working on the park for 40 years. Uh, this amount of time shows how important it is to the community. Jake and I have seen uh, hundreds of people spend their weekends cleaning up the park um, for hours. Uh, and I just wanted to say thank you to the port for supporting Gateway Park North. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Ian. And calling one last time for Michael Carter. Okay, and no Michael Carter in the room, Madam Commission Vice President. Thank you, Clerk Hart. That concludes our sign-ups for today. We'll scan the room to see if there's anybody here in person who'd like to provide public comment. And we'll check to see the virtual space, if there's anybody online who'd like to provide public comment. Going once, going twice. All right. Um, at this time, I'll ask the clerk to please give a synopsis of any written comments that we have received. Thank you. Good afternoon, Madam Commission Vice President, members of the Commission, Executive Director Metric. We have received one written comment for today's meeting. This has been previously distributed to you and will become a part of the meeting record here today. 
The comment comes from Nick Reynolds, who writes in support of item 10B and to express his hope for a positive outcome related to improvements and ongoing work at Gateway Park North, noting that a gathering space would be appreciated by the community for generations to come. And that concludes our written comments received today. Very good. Hearing no further public testimony, we will move to the consent agenda. Uh, items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. The items that are removed from the consent agenda will be uh, considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. Uh, Commissioner Fellman did remove item 8H, so at this time I'm entertaining a motion to approve the consent agenda covering items 8A through G. So moved. Thank you. The motion has been moved and seconded by Commissioners Muhammad and Fellman. At this time, commissioners, please say aye or, name when you're, aye or nay when your name is called for approval of the consent agenda. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hoskawa. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. The item, uh, the motion carries. Thank you. So at this time, um, Executive Director Metric, will you please introduce item 8H? Let me go ahead and read that into the record. Sure. This is item 8H, authorization for the executive director to advertise and execute a construction contract for 2024 Airfields Projects Contract 1 to transfer budget authorization as necessary between the 2024 Airfield Projects to transfer budget and authorization for Gate B11 Passenger Loading Bridge Civil Foundation from the PLB Phase 3 project to the 2021 through 2025 airfield pavement and supporting infrastructure replacement program to procure long lead items to include a project labor agreement for the contract and to authorize use of port crews for abatement work for a total requested amount of $50,500,000 and a total estimated project cost of $200,300,000. Commissioners, maintaining our air airfield is essential for safe operations of aircraft at our airport. This action replaces distressed air, airfield pavement, joint sealant, as well as conducts some drainage work on our taxi lanes. We anticipate a federal grant reimbursement of $8 million for 2024 and $50 million over the expected life of the program. So we have a number of presenters here. I'm not sure. Um, so Robert Kakilis, uh, Airport Operations Development Manager, Airfield Operations, and Ize Nduaguba, um, Capital Project Manager, um, from um, Project Management Group. So I guess um, turn it over to Robert first. Yeah. And I believe we have Paul Shen from our facilities infrastructure oh. on the phone, I believe. So Yeah, I'm online. I'd just like to apologize ahead of time for not giving you the heads up beforehand, but thank you for we were, being able to do this on the fly. We were going to be here anyway, so no worries. <laughs> I'm sure that, yeah, the actually <laughs> relish the opportunity to present this work. This so is great work. Do you want to go through the presentation or just ask questions or? There's, commissioners, there is a short presentation. We can go through those. I think that's a good way to go and sure. then we can answer questions. So everything the clerk uh, read into the record is correct you know, on a high level, just to you know, kind of uh, set the stage. Um, SeaTac is a very small footprint. Uh, and as cool it is as it is to build all these new facilities on the airfield, like the IAF, North Star, and uh, soon to be CCE project, Concourse Expansion, we have a lot of old stuff out there too that needs to be replaced and maintained. 
So this project is to, uh, this contract, I should say, because there's more than one capital project, <coughs> is to replace a whole bunch of old pavement that's out in front of mainly Concourse B for next year, mainly. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, replace some of the in-ground uh, infrastructure utilities that are all uh, undersized or over capacity at the same time. Uh, also transfer some authorization from the passenger loading bridge, CIP, to this project again. The idea being we have a lot of work out there in a very confined footprint, and by bringing them all into one contract, it makes them much more efficient uh, dollar-wise and time-wise, but also a lot less impactful to our passengers and to our airline customers. So um, uh, the, the amount of the authorization request is for $50,500,000 uh, for this for a total estimate of uh, 200, I'm going to start wearing these now, $200,300,000. And if you want to go into more details, Eze is here to keep going through the presentation. Very good. So I would continue on the presentation. This is just a few. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Um, so uh, as Rob mentioned, uh, this is uh, part of our programmatic approach of replacing uh, damaged pavement and supporting infrastructure. Uh, the, today we're here to ask for uh, the 2024 pavement uh, replacement scope as well as the FL utility replacement scope is what mentioning that the pavement replacement scope is the year four of a five-year program that's began in 2021 and will uh, uh, be concluded in 2025. Um, we are also uh, receiving grant for the, uh, a portion of the scope, so all the work that will be performed will be grant eligible. We are slated to receive $8 million. Um, the work is uh, currently scheduled to be advertised in, uh, next month, and we are uh, uh, planning to be done with the work by uh, the end of 2024, in December. Um, so um, uh, the first part of this project, as I mentioned, is the pavement and supporting infrastructure, which uh, focuses on replacing distressed pavement. 2024 scope will be focusing on Taxi Lane Whiskey, which is just located west of uh, Concourse B. And we're also going to be replacing the apron associated with that terminal. And next slide, please. And the FL Utility Improvement Project uh, focuses on uh, replacing uh, distressed utilities as well as upgrading uh, those utilities to uh, uh, meet our projected growth and uh, we are going to be uh, combining both projects into one construction package and, uh, to take advantage of the, uh, to, to reduce the, the impacts to the airport operation. Next one. So this, on this exhibit, you can see the general location of the work. As I mentioned, uh, the taxi lane whiskey, there you see in the big rectangle, is just west of the Concourse B and Central Terminal. But we're also going to be uh, replacing the apron areas that are adjacent to the building. So as I mentioned, construction is scheduled to take place in 2024, uh, second quarter. and. 
uh, we are planning to be done with the work by the end of 2024. So the two programs uh, that I just covered, the 2021 to 2025 airfield pavement and supporting infrastructure piece, uh, the amount we're asking for uh, under this contract is for year four, which is 32,620,000 of the 160 million program budget. And then the second portion of the project is the airfield utility improvement and we are requesting 17,880,000 of the 40,272,000 project costs for a combined of 50,500,000 and the pro total program cost is 200 200,300,000. Thank you very much. Perfect. Uh, so, commissioners, the item before us is requesting authorization for the executive director to advertise and execute a construction contract for the 2024 Airfield Projects Contract 1 to transfer budget and authorization as necessary between the 2024 Airfield Projects to transfer budget authorization for Gate B11 Passenger Loading Bridge PLB Civil Foundation from the PLB Phase 3 project to the 2021 to 2025 Airfield Pavement and Supporting Infrastructure Replacement Program. To procure long lead items, to include a project labor agreement for the contract, and to authorize use of port crews for abatement work for a total requested amount of $50,500,000 and a total estimated project cost of $200,300,000. Do I have a motion? So moved. Do I have a second? Second. Are there any questions or comments for staff at this time? Commissioner Calkins. So if we. Uh Go back to slide six. Uh, that is, that has got to be some of the busiest real estate on our ramp. So how do we do this while we've got planes and trucks and everybody taxiing around this and still stay on that very, that six month timeline? Uh, that's a really good question. So uh, a lot of planning has uh, uh, conducted a very robust, uh, we developed a very robust uh, communication plan and uh, for almost a year and a half we've uh, been executing that plan which includes lots of coordination with airlines, uh, operations. We conducted a safety risk management panel which involves the FAA tower, um, but the to make it simple, we've uh, developed all this work into uh, uh, nine construction phases, and each phase uh, will be uh, closing approximately two to three gates per phase, um, so uh, to reduce the impact that way. And also, uh, the, the, based on feedback we received from the stakeholders, we've also phased the work so that uh, most impactful portion of the work, which is that taxi lane whiskey, uh, will be fully restored during the summer peak season, three months. So we're, all, all, we're uh, for six weeks, we're now going to be working on the taxi lane reconstruction. During that period, we'll be focusing on the apron areas adjacent to the terminal. So lots of coordination with uh, um, met with different stakeholders on a uh, bi-weekly basis to make sure that we're getting 
inputs from all the stakeholders. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Thanks again for the presentation on such short notice. I um I, I just saw just the in the I guess it's in the appendix the last the last page of the presentation. Um where where we talk about uh you know risks and mitigations. And so this is a huge project that's under a project labor agreement. Um but you you're putting as a probability or an impact of medium associated with labor and supplier agreement negotiations that might impact construction if there's a strike. So we're talking about the strike being with the suppliers, not with us. That's what we're talking And do you yes, have sir. reason to believe there's a concern about this? Uh, well, we have a, a, we're planning to uh, uh, include a project labor agreement to help mitigate that risk. But we also, as far as the long lead items, we're planning to procure those materials ahead of time, the, the long lead items. So, 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 uh, so, so I'm just clarifying that the. Oh, uh, no, not, not at the moment. Uh, based on um, all the labor contracts that are going to be expiring, we think we're, uh, the risk is medium to low. All right. So again, just the clarity that that's between the supplier and the and then not between it. It would be kind of hard to believe that if we have a PLA that we'd be concerned about strikes. It's between the supplier and the contractor. Yes. Right. And then the only other thing was the um, the eight percent DBE goal. Right. That's the and that was determined based on what we think is available for such a big job. That's correct. Uh, uh, the DBE goal was established uh, by our diversity and contracting office at 8%. Um, and it's uh, based on the, the work that we're, the, the type of work and the uh, uh, DBE availability uh, the analysis that was performed. That's how, how the goal was established. I thank you, and I wish you the best of luck in the scheduling of this greatly challenging and expensive project. But thanks again for sharing that with us. You're welcome. All right, seeing no further questions or comments, commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Hawkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Hasekawa. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. Four ayes, zero nays for this item. Thank you, Clerk Hart, and thank you, staff, for presenting. Uh, the motion passes for the record. The, the motion passes. We have two additional items today listed under new business. Clerk Hart, please read the first item into the record, and Executive Director Metric will introduce the item. Thank you, Commission Vice President. This is agenda item 10A, authorization for the Executive Director to enter into a memorandum of agreement with King County to join the Coalition for Climate Careers in the amount of $100,000. Commissioners, <clears throat> while I have the authority to sign this memorandum of agreement under the new delegation of authority, we are bringing it forward to the Commission in public session since the Commission has directed the Port to implement a Green Careers Workforce Development Strategy through Resolution 3776. This action provides seed funding for a new collaborative that will bring together public and private organizations as well as frontline communities to develop a regional approach to green jobs. 
We're excited to support this innovative new effort to help break down regional silos for green job creation. We believe that this effort will be a great complement to our existing port-specific programs. The presenter this afternoon is Tiffany Sevilla. Tiffany. Thank you, Executive Director and Port of Seattle Commissioners for carrying out this invitation today. Uh, as the Executive Director said, I'm speaking about a proposed memorandum of agreement with King County for the port to join the Coalition for Climate Careers. Next slide, please. Um, I'll start by talking about how we got here. So uh, this builds upon a long history of the Port of Seattle Commission and other regional government agencies emphasizing the importance of green jobs workforce development collaboration throughout our region. In June of 2020, in the Workforce Development Policy Directive, the Port of Seattle Commission um, directed the port to implement strategies for green careers workforce development and continues to urge us to break down silos, uh, which led us in 2021 to begin meeting with our counterparts at King County and the City of Seattle, who have also been ramping up their green jobs workforce development priorities. And we started meeting monthly to talk about our shared priorities. Then last year, uh, if you'll remember, we've worked with the Seattle Jobs Initiative to publish a Maritime and Green Careers Pathways report, which identified some of the top green career pathways in port-related industries. Uh, that included electricians and HVAC installers, among other clean energy construction trades careers. And then at the end of last year, um, recognizing the importance of working together collaboratively with different stakeholders uh, commission approved a memorandum of agreement with King County to share the cost of a FUSE executive fellow who would help coordinate a regional green jobs coalition. At the beginning of this year, King County published their own green jobs strategy with goals for the next two years, which included supporting this regional green jobs coalition. And then in April of this year, a small steering committee put together to figure out what this regional coalition could look like started to meet. So who was part of that uh, steering committee? Next slide, please. Um, I wanna emphasize that this was a small but mighty task force of uh, representatives from different workforce development stakeholders. Um, it's not representative of what the entire coalition will be. It'll be much a much broader coalition. This was just a group of dedicated professionals who came together to figure out the vision for this regional coalition, figure out the framework. So there were 16 of us, uh, including government agencies, industry employers, labor unions, and educational institutions uh, who were tasked with figuring out a governance structure and financial framework for this coalition. Uh, representatives from each of the government agencies were at the staff level. I represented the Port of Seattle um, and uh, other organizations that were represented included the White Center Community Development Association and the um, IE IBEW Local 46 Electricians Union. Next slide, please. Um, I want to emphasize that this uh, coalition or this small steering committee or this task force um, came together and determined that this coalition is necessary beyond um, 
beyond what other organizations like the Workforce Development Council of Seattle King County uh, can do. Um, the scope extends beyond that uh, to include one day multiple counties, so not just King County, but Pierce, Snohomish, and King uh, Pierce, Snohomish, and Kitsap County, uh, as well as uh, not being restricted by WIOA uh, federal restrictions on, on how to use funding the way WDC is. And in fact, a representative from the WDC participated in this steering committee. And what this steering committee came up with is what we're calling the Coalition for Climate Careers, or C3. And the mission statement, um, as can be seen here, is to be a strategic collaboration among public and private organizations and frontline communities dedicated to establishing an inclusive and prosperous green workforce in King County. And I want to emphasize, um, as the executive director mentioned, this is in alignment with our existing green careers priorities. Uh, the careers that we're talking about here are inclusive of port-related industries like aviation um, and maritime and construction. And so some of the goals, if we go to the next slide, for this coalition um, include uh, focuses on funding, uh, coalition building, community engagement, workforce development, and development and research around the green economy. Um, really positioning ourselves to be leaders uh, across the region in developing a green workforce. Uh, if we go to the next slide, um, coalition members, I, as I said, are going to be much broader than the organizations who participated in figuring out what this might look like. Um, it'll be open to the general public, so community members, as well as organizations, uh, including the many stakeholders um, identified here, workforce development, labor unions, community-based organizations, educational institutions, employers, and local government. If we go to the next slide, uh, there is a seven-page governance document that details what the structure of this coalition will look like. But just a high-level overview is that it will be led by an executive steering committee um, that will set funding priorities and make sure the coalition aligns with its stated goals. The executive steering committee um, will include a seat for the Port of Seattle and will direct a contracted consultant to be a coordinator to execute coalition priorities. I'll go into the scope of work for this coordinator in a couple moments. Um, additionally, the steering committee determined that in order to be nimble enough to respond to current emerging funding opportunities related to green jobs, uh, rather than setting this up as a 501c3 right now, which takes quite a bit of time, um, one of the first tasks of this coalition is going to be identifying a fiscal sponsor, so an existing 501c3 that will be responsible for managing funds. Next slide, please. Uh, so why should the port join this? Um, as I referenced the Port of Seattle Workforce Development Policy Directive earlier, we are uh, tasked with fostering partnership with the many stakeholders identified here, community-based organizations, labor, industry, um, to maximize the workforce development impact of the Port of Seattle. So it's natural and, and I think um, important that we participate in this, this kind of coalition. Additionally, 
those funding opportunities I mentioned, such as the Inflation Reduction Act and the uh, different federal and state funding opportunities for green jobs, many of these require collaboration and partnerships in order to be competitive. So for our region to be able to access these opportunities, we have to form these partnerships now. Next slide, please. Uh, so what this looks like for the port right now is a $100,000 contribution paid by the port to King County out of the workforce development budget as part of the shared cost of this contracted facilitator who will carry out the coalition's priorities. The funding strategy of C3 is still in development. It does include securing one-time seed funding from the port um, as well as other local government agencies. Uh, and eventually will include both public and private funding sources. Next slide, please. Uh, the full scope of work for the contracted coordinator is attached to the memorandum of agreement, uh, but broadly the overarching tasks of the coordinator are leadership and governance, uh, communication, promotion of the coalition, and managing the coalition's resources. Uh, and that concludes my presentation on the Coalition for Climate Careers, and uh, I welcome your questions at this time. Very good. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for the presentation. Uh, commissioners, do you have questions at this time? Commissioner Feldman. Thanks so much for that. It's really great to see us finding new opportunities to build on the Green Job Initiatives, and thank you for finding that and leveraging the Climate Commitment Act, um, IJA, and other sources. That's there was that whole green, um, I forget, the climate core was, sounds like a great idea. So, um, and C3s and K4, we have this whole coalition of, of acronyms. But the, what, what I don't see is what is the total budget and who, what are the other agencies who are contributing? So this is right now just paying for a consultant. Are there other known expenses? So just like, what is the Port of Seattle's 100,000 in the bigger mix? Thank you for that question, Commissioner Fellman. I can't speak right now on the commitments of the other government agencies who are being asked for seed funding. Um, their contributions are likely to come out of their budget for next year. And part of why I'm making this proposal now is that we have the funding for it this year. Um, however, I do expect it to be a similar significant contribution. And there's also a report that I'll be able to provide next week um, that has more details about how the funding strategy for C3 is being put together. But it will include not just uh, public government agency funding, but also private contributions as well. Thanks for that. I just sometimes like to see, like, you make it like a challenge grant. You, you This money is available contingent on a, a match or something like that, just to leverage other participation. But it seems like a great investment for the port. Commissioner Mohammed. Well, I'm, I'm just glad to see that we are participating as a region to respond to this and um, the fact that we're coming to the table with the county and other agencies. Um, that coordinated response is what is needed when we're talking about creating pathways to green jobs. And so I just want to commend you guys for doing that. And I think it's just strategic to look at underspend and um, come to the table quickly with by allocating some dollars to, to that. Um, I appreciate Commissioner Fellman asking um, what the other agencies are paying. I think that is important 
and if um, we are contributing more, I would say I hope that we'll be able to have a say in, in some of the outcomes that we're looking forward to seeing. But again, just gratitude on the work that you guys are doing. I guess um, my questions are, uh, I see that within the scope of work, this group will make budgetary recommendations for coalition spending. To whom do they make recommendations? And what's the feedback loop to the Port of Seattle? So the Port of Seattle being part of the executive steering committee will help set direction for how the coalition spends the funding it receives. Um, and recommendations will be made, uh, I guess, recommendations will be made by the contracted coordinator to the coalition, the broader coalition. And that includes a diversity of uh, entities. And for um, what we're authorizing now is to share in the cost of a consultant, but after the, I, the consultant does their work within the scope of this agreement and uh, identify priorities and needs and then make, makes recommendations for coalition spending, where does that money come from? That's a great question, Commissioner. Um, and the funding strategy is still to be developed. Uh, okay. partly by that consultant. Um, a lot of the work that has been done so far by the task force has just been to figure out what would the framework for this coalition be. Um, but the funding, the funding, the full funding strategy is still in development. Is there another public partner besides King County as a part of this coalition? Yes, the city of Seattle has been part of the development of this as well. And I can assume that they're also contributing financially. They will be asked to. They'll be asked. Yes. Um, so given the work that the Port of Seattle has done in career pathways and developing green jobs and organizations and, um, you know, um, the summits that we facilitate to break down those silos among partners and shared lessons learned and strategies in order to be successful, um, will they as major players within the Port of Seattle towards developing pathways to green jobs, will they be involved also in this yes. effort? Yes, as yeah, members definitely. in the coalition, yes. I hear a lot from community members, um, including from uh, you know one existing um, institutional community-based work group that we have called PCAT about this concept of volunteer fatigue. So what makes this special that King County is asking us to contribute $100,000 instead of reinventing the wheel for and putting extra workload on our, on our existing program participants? This is, uh, thank you for that question, Commissioner. Um, I think the, I, if I understand correctly, some of the question is about um, when people are asked to provide input into this kind of work, they're often asked to do it on a voluntary basis. And um, one of, that is a, a concern that's been brought up by our steering committee. Um, and there is expectation in the, in the full government governance document that coalition members or that funding will be available for coalition members to be compensated for their time um, when, uh, when they're members of community, so not staff like myself participating uh, as part of my work. Okay. And for a 
follow-up question? No, I can't. Is there somebody else who'd like to come and present? Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. The perfect time for that would have been during public comment. No, no, no. I, I appreciate it. Um, so, well, 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 well. Thank you for for that. Please do feel free, feel free to write in and um, formally submit public comment. Um, uh, so I, um, I guess uh, my other question is about. Um, uh, uh, that's okay. Thank you. That's that's very informative. Uh, has NWSA, given their work in the maritime space, been considered to be a part of this or th help think take around careers and pathways towards green jobs? I would love to include NWSA as part of the coalition. Um, we haven't spoken to them about it yet. But also, this is brand new. And I also, I guess I should emphasize that this would be the ports opportunity to position us as as a leader um, in supporting this work. We have, sorry, so we have our um, equity index, right? And we have strategies to make sure that we are doing specific targeted engagement in historically marginalized but also disparately impacted communities for climate resilience, for environmentalism, how does this center our goals around our triple bottom line, which is not just promoting economic opportunities and not just promoting a you know, better quality of life and healthy environment, um, but also advancing racial equity? For me, I think being having the opportunity to be on the executive steering committee and to make recommendations and bring along our community partners um, in particular, the community-based organizations that the port already works so closely with and, and shine a light on uh, like our partners in South King County and throughout South Seattle. That's how we can leverage our position um, in being part of this work. And how will this work center communities of color? Communities of color are explicitly written into the, the, the vision for this um, coalition. And uh, having communities of color and community-based organizations participate in the broader coalition and making sure that they are compensated for their participation um, and making sure they have access to funding and resources as part of this coalition uh, is all part of the, the broader goals. And what division or office within King County will be overseeing this task force? Uh, so the task force I've talked about so far um, has been operating this year. Uh, but going forward, the coalition isn't something that would be necessarily overseen by King County. Our contribution would be made to King County uh, right now so that they would be able to pull together contributions from, well, their own contribution and potential other um, government agency contributions to procure a consultant coordinator for the the first couple years work of the coalition. So that's that's the support King County would be providing, but this coalition would be a separate entity. 
but they don't have a continued commitment to actually fund or resource the work of this blooming task force. They would have this agreement with us and they would also be participating in the executive steering committee. I wish I had additional information about the steering committee and its scope of work beyond the scope of work for the coordinator itself mm -hmm. so that I knew what its goals and outcomes were. To me, it's just still not clear and how we're expecting to contribute and what that means for long-term gains. I'm, I'm concerned about um, volunteer fatigue. We've just heard it so much. Um, and $100,000, I'll be voting to approve this but it, you know, because it's it's worth the investment. Um, but I'm gonna ask that you provide additional information about the actual scope of work for this task force, including a feedback loop and their plan for continued funding um, to act for implementation. Um, so with that, do I have any other questions or comments from commissioners? Uh, uh, Clerk Hart, please. No, oh, I need a motion. So moved. Second. I have a motion and a second for Commissioner Muhammad, Commissioner Fellman. Uh, Clerk Hart, please call the roll and um, and Commissioner say IRNA when your name is called. Commissioners, if I may, um, just add one comment. Uh, Luis Navarro, Director of Workforce Development, and I just want to say those were very good questions. There are two. Uh, places that we come back to you with detailed information. One is our annual report to Commission on the investments in workforce development, the results and how that money is benefiting communities, in particular BIPOC communities, immigrant and refugee communities. So we come to you in the first quarter with a detailed report every year as we are required. Uh, for this particular effort, there is another parallel that we currently operate under, and that's in the construction arena. We have a regional public owners collaboration where we bring the Port of Seattle's uh, equity, ideas, and goals, and aspirations, and our voice is important in that construction-related process. This will be similar, but your questions for more information are important, and we'll be providing those as necessary. Thank you. Thank you. There is a motion and a second on the floor for the vote, beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Hoskawa. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, four ayes, zero nays for this item. The motion carries. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Commissioner. All right, moving on to the next item. I understand Commissioner Muhammad needs to recuse herself for agenda item 10B. Is that correct, Commissioner Yes, thank you. Um, members of the commission, I would like to recuse myself from item 10B due to a potential conflict of interest or a potential appearance of conflict of interest. This item addresses an agreement between the Port of Seattle and the City of Seattle. Since I'm an employee of the City of Seattle and after consulting with commission uh, council, and out of abundance of caution, I would like to recuse myself at this time from considering this matter. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Please go ahead and leave the meeting at this time and do not rejoin until staff lets you know the item has concluded.
And Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record in just a moment. And then Executive Director Metric will introduce it. Thank you. This is agenda item 10B, authorization for the Executive Director to sign a memorandum of agreement with the City of Seattle enabling the port to provide funding up to $500,000 and approximately $50,000 in-kind support for site characterization, design, and permitting of the 8th Avenue South Gateway Park North project and to authorize funding in the amount of $317,128 to support city-led site characterization, design, and permitting tasks for a total estimated project cost of $2,600,000. Commissioners, <clears throat> similar to the last item, while I have authority to sign this memorandum of agreement under the new delegation of authority, we're bringing it forward to you today since it fulfills a requirement of the Duwamish Valley Community Benefits Commitment. This project location was identified as an action area to improve public parks and green space under the Healthy Environment and Communities goal within the policy directive. The members of the community have prioritized this project. I'm very pleased to bring it forward to you for your consideration today. We have a number of presenters here. We have uh, Sarah Auger, Director of Maritime Environment Sustainability. I see John Sloan there. He's listed here. John Sloan, Senior Manager for Environmental, environmental Programs. Danielle Butzik, Environmental Program Manager and Julie Ewan, uh, Manager of Waterfront Capital Projects. So with that, I believe I'm turning over to you, Sarah. Yes. So. Uh, thank you, Executive Director. Um, yes, to today we're gonna talk with you about the 8th Avenue South and Gateway Park North site. Really excited to share with you this proposal. Um, this site uh, has been an informal public river access for decades. The, oh, okay. That, Can you hear me? Maybe I need to be a little closer. <laughs> I need bigger ears. How's this? That's All right, I'll, I'll lean in. <laughs> so today we're gonna talk about the 8th Avenue South and Gateway Park North. I'm pleased to be here. This site has been an informal public river access site for decades. Uh, the Georgetown community has been organizing and advocating for this site to become a public park for decades. The city of Seattle has now allocated 1.75 million towards access improvements in the 8th Avenue South Corridor, uh, enabling this park project to proceed. Um, and then in 2019, as part of the Duwamish Valley Community Benefits Agreement, the Port of Seattle committed to help the community achieve their vision for a park in this location. Uh, the port initially began to plan a bank line stabilization project at the site, but it soon became clear that it'd be more effective for the port to partner with the city of Seattle and contribute to the city's project financially and with our staff expertise. Uh, thus, today we have before the commission uh, a request that has two elements. First is a request for approval for the executive director to sign a memorandum of agreement with the city of Seattle to formalize the partnership and provide a mechanism for transferring funds to the city to support a portion of the project work. And secondly, as a request to authorize a specific expenditure of port funds for design and permitting of the project. This project is very important to the Duwamish Valley community. It's identified, as I mentioned, it's been identified by the uh, Port Community Action Team, or PCAT, as a priority. And again, it's part of our formal set of commitments in the Duwamish Valley Community Benefits Agreement. Uh, I'm going to now hand it over to Danielle Butzik, our Environmental Program Manager, to provide a more detailed uh, presentation. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, my name is Danielle Butzik. I am, as Sarah said, an Environmental Program Manager in our Maritime Environment Sustainability Department. 
Um, I'm very, very excited to be here sharing this proposal with you. This has been a long time coming and um, it's, it's a really important step for the community in getting something that they've been working on for a really long time. Um, you can go to the next slide, please. Um, just uh, some initial context. Sarah provided a little bit in, in her opening remarks. Um, this is a, a site that is the Georgetown, Georgetown community's only river access. Um, they've really been actively advocating for this to be a public park for over 40 years. Um, a portion of the site is owned by Seattle Parks and Recreation. It uh, actually has landmark status due to the pump houses association with the historic George plant uh, or the Georgetown steam plant. Um, it was transferred to Parks and Recreation in 2010 from Seattle City Light um, as part of that landmarking process. So um, the port initially authorized funding for the Bankline Stabilization Project, which was intended to kind of kickstart this park development project that the community had been advocating for, for so long. Um, but really throughout the course of uh, partnering with the city, it became clear that a better strategy would be for us to, um, to support the city's design process rather than going at, um, on parallel tracks. Um, so that approach we, we really found uh, would reduce permitting redundancies and would enable the designs to really be integrated. So as Sarah said, this is actually two separate requests. Um, this is a, uh, one is for the signature, uh, the executive director to sign the memorandum of agreement. Um, and the other is a funding authorization request for, uh, for funding for design and permitting. So you will notice that the timeline that we've provided in the memo is, uh, is it puts the completion date at about 2028, um, the end of 2028 to be specific, and there's considerable time allowed for permitting. This is because this project is likely to be pretty complex as far as permitting because it is in water, um, as well as there will be significant public involvement in the design and um, it is really complex with the various different ownership um, um, and, and properties on site. Uh, we do think that the, uh, initial, the initial schedule is reflecting that the uh, permitting will be completed in uh, the third quarter of 2026 and construction will be complete by uh, Q4 of 2028. And that is dependent on the city's uh, resourcing and scheduling as well. So to cover this slide, um, the MOA, the Memorandum of Agreement, is um, it commits us to providing 500,000, up to 500,000, uh, for design and permitting support. Um, the city will invoice us for, for actual costs. And then it also, um, it also provides in-kind support in the form of staff expertise in permitting and design, habitat design, um, and potentially habitat materials and potential use of our Duwamish Valley Community Hub for meeting spaces. Um, the project is this, as Sarah mentioned, the project, or uh, maybe it was Executive Director Metric mentioned, um, this project is called out in the Duwamish Valley Community Benefits Commitment in um, Section 5, Public, Spark, Public Parks and Open and Green Space. Um, so it is something that we've been talking about for a long time. It's something that the community has been really advocating for the port to support 
for a long time. Um, so this is uh, just a really exciting process for, for us to be kicking off. And I'll turn it over to Julie for a couple of minutes to, uh, to talk about the funding request. Danielle. Uh, uh, good afternoon. My name is Julie Yoon, Capital Project Manager. Like Sarah and Danielle said, um, I just wanted to elaborate on the fact that uh, going hand in hand with the MOA approval request, we're also coming here with a request for design authorization and funding in the amount of $317,128, as you see in the slide there, which uh, brings the current authorization to date to $550,000. And as Danielle said, that will allow the Port of Seattle team to be able to provide the contribution of funds as well as in-kind staff support throughout design and uh, permitting um, in collaboration with the city of Seattle. Uh, and looking ahead, I just wanted to give a uh, heads up as well that the at, at the completion of the permitting and design, um, the team does uh, anticipate returning to commission with a similarly kind of coupled request um, that, that'll include the construction MOA as well as a construction authorization at that time um, in the amount of around $2,050,000. I'll hand it back over to you. You can go to the next slide now. So this slide is really just to orient you to the project site. Um, as you can see, these red lines, those are the property boundaries. There are four separate properties on or adjacent to the, this project site, which makes it really complicated. Um, there are, there's a right-of-way, a city right-of-way site that is uh, owned by Seattle Department of Transportation, uh, city parks property, um, and then a, a portion of the property is within the uh, former commercial waterway district uh, number one and then to the uh, in where the number two is uh, that site is the uh, Crowley parcel which is uh, currently an ecology mandated cleanup um, so there are a lot of different moving parts here on this site and where you can see the the red circle where it says project site that's a uh, that's kind of the heart of the site but the ideally the whole um, that whole corridor will eventually be uh, improved where you see the four indicating the uh, 8th Avenue South Corridor as well as the whole um, waterfront section of this property. Next slide, please. And this slide is uh, to orient you to the community vision for the site. So this is the concept that was presented to the community by the city um, and their design team in 2022. Uh, this design was developed collaborati collaboratively with many community members um, and a really, uh, and a, and a community-oriented design firm. Um, the design was funded by a Department of Neighborhoods grant uh, awarded by the city and managed by the Seattle Parks Foundation. They were the fiscal sponsor for the grant. Um, the design was transferred to the city when the city allocated 1.7 million for the corridor improvements um, on the 8th Avenue South Street Corridor. Um, this is the concept from which the design is gonna start. And since there has been funding for the corridor improvements along 8th Avenue South, the so the, the yellow, um, 
box or, or uh, hashed marks indicate what was initially thought to be the potential phase one area, which would be the bank line stabilization or restoration project. But now that there is funding for that corridor, uh, there are gonna be some, um, some early um, stormwater improvements and access improvements to that corridor. So really the, the 8th Avenue South section of the site is the, is the phase one. Next slide, please. So the scope, the scope for the city um, includes really leading the site characterization, the design and the contract for design, as well as the permitting tasks. So the city will be the, the lead on the project. They will be uh, the applicant for any permits. They're gonna be leading any outreach with the community. Um, and they'll also be, uh, as I said, managing any contracts for the design. And uh, the port, you can go to the next slide because this, the next one is gonna detail our role. Uh, the port is going to be a partner in this. We will provide support. We will provide um, funding and, uh, and in-kind support in, in the form of materials and staff expertise. Um, but we will not be leading this project. It will be, uh, we will be uh, just really playing a supporting role. Um, as Julie mentioned, there is, we're anticipating that there will be a future request for construction support. We expect that to be a separate memorandum of agreement or an, an addendum to, or amendment to this MOA. Um, so the construction funding, construction work is not included in this current authorization. Um, but we do expect that to happen sometime in uh, 2026 or so when permitting and design have been completed. And next slide. And I will let Julie talk to the design authorization component. So this is just a, another slide to distinguish the second author, uh, second request um, on this agenda item for design authorization and funding. Um, no new information, but um, again, uh, in support of the MOA, um, the team is requesting design authorization and funding, again, in the amount of $317,128. That'll um, bring the total authorization up to $550,000 out of an estimated total project cost of $2.6 million. And um, as we've been, uh, as, as has been described uh, in the previous slides, that'll allow for the port to be able to provide the in-kind staff support as well as um, contribution of funds to the city of Seattle throughout the design and permitting phase um, leading up to the next time we return to commission for um, the next construction phase. Next slide. That concludes our presentation. Okay. Commissioners, do you have any questions or comments? Commissioner Calkins. Thank you for the presentation. That was um, wonderful to hear the description. When reading through the, um, the materials ahead of time, uh, I was reflecting on um, well, Andrew, thank you for coming to uh, to present. I don't think we've seen each other in person since pre-COVID, but uh, I just I'm really impressed with the dogged advocacy of of Georgetown community members, participants in PCAT, and others. And uh, this is one of those instances where you know when the community speaks, we have to listen. And this has been a, a real priority. And so 
uh, I'm grateful that the city of Seattle is taking this project on and, and that we get to partner with them as they lead this project. Um, the other thought I had was, uh, I, I, this is probably three months ago now, but there was an article about how even sort of postage stamp size uh, reintroduction of natural spaces can have a huge benefit to the ecology of, a, of an area. And as somebody who, who worked in Georgetown for 12 years, th th it always felt like that was uh, something in dire need. Uh, I remember at one point we uh, purchased just a set of bikes that anybody in our business could use to go around and get food for lunch or just you know ride somewhere to to sit and have a picnic and um they just didn't get that used much used that much because at sixth and michigan where we were located it was hard to find good green space and this would be uh easily bikeable from those for those folks so nice place to sit on the waterfront and watch herons fly in and um, have your sandwich so i'm glad we can help support the city of seattle in this and i look forward to um, the future requests for the construction when we get to that phase thanks Commissioner Feldman. It's always wonderful to see uh, concrete turned into greenery. That's a beautiful thing. And um, I, I guess I had a couple questions. This, this piecemeal land ownership is pretty crazy, but we have no dirt in the game, right? The, this is, we're helping beautify other people's land, right? We're doing this work as part of our commitment under the Duwamish River uh, or Duwamish Valley Community. Benefits. I know, but we have no ownership in the land, right? I might be able to provide, provide clarification to your question. There is some commercial waterway district property involved, which the port has a limited interest in as a successor, uh, but it's not true property ownership. Yeah, I, I was wondering about. How are you going to answer that question? But um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, and and but the the fact of the matter is, so this is going to include a shoreline restoration as well, right? And yeah. so um, what I would love to see, and I'm sure we'll get to see in the future, um, it, it's you know as Commissioner Calkins talked about postage stamps. The fact is that there's a bunch of postage stamps along the river, and to see the proximity of this to the others where refugia can be created along the along the route of a migratory fish. It would be just kind of fun to see how the string of pearls continue to, both in terms of for the park space for the community, as well as for the migratory species using it. I think that would be a, a really nice enhancement. The only other thing is, um, uh, again, the overall budget, how much is the Port of Seattle? We're not putting property in the game but we're being asked to do design and development. Is there an estimate of, you know, like, like you said, the uh, Department of Neighborhoods gave a grant to do yeah. this initial design. How big was that? I'm actually not aware of the size of that grant. I don't think that it was significant. It was, um, it, you know, helped get to conceptual design, but the city has additional funding allocated for a, to further the design um, beyond beyond concept. Um, we know that the initial budget for the city is about 15 million to 20 million. That's really rough. That's in this conceptual phase. They'll refine that as they move through design and permitting. All right, so that's the ballpark estimated total project. Correct. And yeah. so we're being asked right now this 
authorization of up to what five fifty. Correct. And and that, but the assumption that we're likely to be come back to ask something around two million in the future. That's yes, of, that's correct. Of a fifteen million somewhat. All right, just to get a scope of work. And so, but the only other folks that have actual financial skin in the game would be the city. Correct. Yes. Yes. At this point. All right. Last thing. When you say Crowley property, I mean, you're saying it's a remediation site, but does Crowley still own it? I am not sure who the current owner of that property is. It was the, the Crowley site is when that's who owned it when Ecology designated as a cleanup site. Um, I don't know who the current owner of that property is. But typically whoever owned it still owns the pollution. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Yes. So yes. I mean, I'm just wondering yes. in terms of when you see a private piece of land in addition to the smorgasbord of all this public land, yeah, it seems to be. Yeah, and to be clear, the, the Crowley site is not part of the, the site that's proposed for the park development. It's adjacent to just a kind of a, a fact to consider that there's a cleanup site adjacent to this. this Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, um, can you describe what the engagement with PCAT has been around this to date? And given that the city of Seattle is really leading on this and the port of Seattle is supporting this effort, what will the continued engagement and feedback loop be with PCAT, the, which is the port stakeholder um, group for the area? Yeah, so as you know, this, this site is a PCAP priority. They've, they've communicated that this, this particular project is one of their priorities for this year. Um, up until early this year, there was a, um, or maybe it was late last year, we, we were meeting monthly with the community on the design as this design was developed. Um, and that, that was actually led by the port. We, we facilitated that effort because we were in the midst of, um, of scoping and working on our bank line stabilization project. Um, and, and it really just became clear that we needed to have better coordination with the city and with the community and make sure that everybody was uh, on the same page. And so uh, we met monthly and we've been really, really engaged. Um, the, the PCAT has been super engaged and uh, Georgetown Youth Council has been really involved in this as well. Um, and uh, so it was there was there was a lot of coordination and then when when we kind of decided to move in a different direction and the port was uh, we were we were no longer pursuing that bank line stabilization work uh, and moved into kind of a, a partnership role with the city um, there was a lot of there were a lot of things that needed to happen on the city's side um, as far as getting a, a contractor and and figuring out how they were going to scope the project and get funding um, so it kind of it it slowed down a bit there was still uh, coordination on the city's end like substantial coordination that the city was doing working with businesses on uh, not only this project but just on um, on just a lot of uh, kind of um, improvement work that they're that they're working on in uh, in the Georgetown area with um, you know just enhancing the environment for um, for the community members there um, particularly uh, this this 8th Avenue South corridor though um, so I had requested in um, the budget and assessment of Duwamish Valley Parks which Commissioner Bellman was kind enough to second and I'm uh, wondering was uh, is this 
park still going to be considered an assessment of Duwamish Valley? Um, I believe the assessment of Duwamish Valley parks were Port of Seattle parks. Mm -hmm. So as such, this would not be included. It's not currently, uh, it's not one of our parks. Yeah, great, perfect. Um, okay, Commissioner Fallman. Uh, again, I think it's useful to see where those other parks are. You know, whether it's our property or not, the community has access due to these, this proximity. And like when we start thinking about other street ends or whatever, how they are spaced relative to the other, and we're going to invest in habitat restoration. So while it may not be part of our assessment, it's still part of the community and ecological asset. It would be just good to, and you know, the best property is adjacent to somebody else's property that is useful, right? So thank you for that. Yeah, I like to see the Port of Seattle maximizing its footprint of influence when it comes to environmental justice, particularly for beloved communities like Georgetown and South Park. Um, seeing no further questions or comments, commissioners, do I have a motion and a second? So moved. Second. The motion has been made and seconded by Commissioners Calkins and Fallon. Clerk Hart, please call the roll. And Commissioners, say aye or nay when your name is called. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fallon. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Hasegawa. Mm, aye. <laughs> Thank you. Three ayes, zero nays for this item. Thank you. The motion passes. So let's take a moment to let uh, Commissioner Muhammad know that we're ready for her to rejoin. I've just sent that request. Okay. So as Commissioner Muhammad uh, rejoins the meeting, we will move to item number 11, presentations and staff reports. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record and then Executive Director Metric will then introduce it. Thank you. This is agenda item 11A, the tax levy draft plan of finance for the 2024-2028. I'm sorry, for 2024-2028, and it's a briefing. Commissioners, <clears throat> I can wait. Uh, should I wait for Commissioner? I, I would say go ahead and proceed. Commissioners, over the over the past several months, you you have engaged in a thoughtful, strategic review of our spending priorities for the 2024 budget. Key to implementing your vision for those investments is how we pay for them. The draft plan of finance looks at a mix of revenue sources, including our operating income and the port's property tax authority. In developing this proposed plan of finance, we have been focused on financial responsibility and sustainability of our organization. In particular, we're about to spend an average of $1 billion a year for the next five years and planning to make major investments in environmental cleanup as well. This year, in order to prepare for those major expenditures, we are aligning our financing strategies to ensure that we strike a balance between our current capacity and the uncertain fiscal outlook ahead. We are also very sensitive to the impact on the King County taxpayer. There are a number of substantive aspects of today's presentation, but I want to highlight our staff proposal to increase the port's property tax levy by 4.8%. This increase meets those criteria that are laid out above and provides an additional $4 million in levy cash in 2024. I know that commissioners will be considering policies at future meetings to ensure that these additional revenues are targeted to fund our environmental responsibilities, which I strongly support. 
I also want to highlight that under this plan, the levy increase is only expected to increase in a, t in a $10 per, per year uh, increase to the median homeowner in King County. I look forward to hearing your feedback during today's discussion. So finally, I want to mention that the full proposed budget will be released this Thursday with a press release and an interactive website. We look forward to your first reading of our proposed budget at your next meeting in November. So the presenters this afternoon, I'm going to kick us off and go over a few slides and then I'll hand it over to Elizabeth Morrison, a Director of Corporate Finance, and uh, Scott Bertram, Manager of Corporate Finance. So can we go to the slideshow, please? Next slide, please. Commissioners, here's just the items we're going to walk through. I'm going to touch real quickly on the budget process timeline. Uh, I've already talked about the bottom line up front a little bit, but I'll go over that in detail. Then we'll have the tax levy background and update. Well, Elizabeth will go through that, and then we'll go into the draft plan of finance for 2024 to 2028, and we'll look beyond uh, for 20 beyond 2028. And then we'll finalize our recommendation for the tax levy, and then we'll and then of course um, we'll look at other uh, finance initiatives. And then there's some uh, appendix in your in your materials. There's an appendix with additional information. So next slide, please. Commissioners, there we are. You're well familiar with this of the next uh, where we are in this in this process. But here we are at the plan of finance and tax levy briefing. And next will be the first in public, the first reading in public hearing for the 2024 budget on November 14th, with the final um, reading and final passage uh, uh, on 20 on the 21st of November. Next slide, please. So the bottom line up front, um, these came out of. Uh, rec you know, the bottom line in front is that we're going to implement the recommendations that came out of the June and July budget retreats and the discussions that we had with you. We'll continue to steward resources to prepare for the future, um, to meet our growing operational and, uh, and regional needs, uh, with a continued focus on environmental remediation and potential economic uncertainty that's out there. And this includes uh, global developments as well that, that, that may have uh, introduced uncertainty to our, into our economic world going forward. Uh, we'll consider beginning to earmark funds to pay for the port's environmental responsibilities. Again, that's something that I support that we're in discussions with the, uh, with the Commission on that. And then our annual levy proposed that 75% of the port's maximum allowable levy, something we discussed before with you. And so the 2024 tax levy of, of 80, will be $86.7 million. It represents a 4.8% increase from 2023 and provides an additional $4 million in levy cash in 2024. Next slide, please. And so at this point, I'm gonna turn it over to Elizabeth Morrison to, uh, to walk through the rest of the presentation. Elizabeth. Thank you and good afternoon. I'll begin with the tax levy and then uh, I'll ask Scott Bertram to present the draft plan of finance. We'll begin with some background. Uh, the port can assess a levy on property within King County per uh, state law, and the levy is approved each year by the commission. The commission approves an amount of the levy, and that amount can be anything up to the statutory maximum. For 2024, that maximum amount is just over 115 million. The levy can also be leveraged by issuing general obligation bonds, which are then paid for from the tax levy all of the port's existing general obligation bonds have been used for non-airport infrastructure. 
specifically for the SR99 tunnel and for uh, container terminals operated by uh, the Northwest Seaport Alliance and Fisherman's Terminal. The debt service on those bonds is the first claim on the annual tax levy. In addition, the port uses the tax levy to pay for its environmental liabilities, the remediation that we do on our legacy uh, properties. Uh, and we also have regional transportation funded by the tax levy and a number of community programs that the commission has initiated over the years. We, um, uh, and anything left over after all those things are paid for is available to cash fund various non-airport capital investments. Next slide, please. This is the history of the tax levy. Beginning in 1990, state law changed so that the port could tax less than the maximum and still be able to, to bump up to that maximum if needed. Over the course of this period, the port has levied approximately 75% of the maximum on average, but you can see that it has varied over time with 50% in some years and up to 90% in other years as needed. Uh, but over, over um, the average over this period is about 75%, and that has roughly kept up with inflation. Next slide, please. This summer, the commission had uh, two budget retreats during which we discussed, among other things, the tax levy. Based on those discussions, uh, staff has worked out the following um, approach to both the 2024 budget for the tax levy and for our five-year draft plan of finance. So the approach includes continuing at this 75% of the maximum which preserves a cushion that the port can tap into during times of adversity. And uh, it also is a support of our good credit rating. Uh, when investors look at the port, when credit rating agencies look at the port and they see that we have a, a pattern of taxing below our maximum, they view that very positively because it does give us flexibility to address adversity. The primary beneficiary of those strong credit ratings is the airport and helps keep the costs to the airport and the airlines low. The, um, the port also, the plan uh, includes the port continuing to support the uh, environmental remediation projects. What will be changing is the expectation of the amount that we will pay for those projects as a number of them begin to, uh, to kick in in terms of, of the spending. We expect that spending to increase. And to pay for those projects, we anticipate using a, a combination of levy cash and general obligation bonds. The funding approach also includes the continuation of funding for community programs at approximately the current level of 13 million out of the tax levy. Some of the programs also receive funding from other sources beyond the tax levy. And the remaining funds to be used for non-airport capital. Next slide, please. 
The port always considers the impact on taxpayers. So the proposed levy increase of about $4 million to $86.7 million uh, also leads to an increase in the levy rate. To be clear, that rate is increasing because of a combination of the increase in the tax levy and a decrease in assessed value. The preliminary assessed value for 2024 is actually lower than the assessed value for 2023. So that leads to the calculation of what's called the millage rate, the cents per thousand of assessed value that property owners pay. In 2023, the median home value was 853,000. We don't have the 2024 number yet. The county will provide that in 2024. So applying that new rate to that same 2023 median home value, uh, we're, we calculate an increase of roughly $10 to the median homeowner. So, um, and just to, to put this in context, in 2023, the port's levy represented a little over 1% of the total amount that homeowners pay in various taxes to schools and other governments, city, county, et cetera. Next slide, please. This is an illustration of how the tax levy uses are expected to shift over the next five years. So looking at the last five years compared to the next five years, we still have uh, the payment of general obligation bond debt service as the primary use of the tax levy. And we are expecting to issue additional GO bonds during this period of approximately 350 million. Uh, um, what's changing is the increase in the use of the levy for environmental remediation payments. So that will take approximately 25% of the tax levy over the next five-year period. Uh, we'll also see a small increase in the percentage that goes to community programs, and that's because the community program funding has grown in the last few years, so when we look at the whole past five-year period, we're picking up some years where that we didn't have as much um, funding of community programs. Uh, so what's decreasing is the use of the tax levy for capital. And that's one of the reasons we will be relying more on general obligation bonds for the next five years to help pay for some of the capital that won't be paid for from the tax levy. Though a little sliver of other, the past five years, most of that was the port's uh, membership contribution to the Northwest Seaport Alliance. The last payment is expected to be made at the end of this year. For the next five years, that other includes the, um, the uh, South um, Gateway, the Gateway Park South, uh, um, as well as some other small items. All right, um, are there any questions on the tax levy before we move to the plan of finance? Commissioner Calkins. Can, can you remind us, uh, when you talk about the statutorily allowed mac maximum allowable levy, 
Well, why couldn't we just say we want a billion dollars next year? What what prevents us from, you know, sending it through the roof? Yes. Yeah, so so um, there are two statutes that uh, dictate the maximum. One is specific to ports. The other is general to property tax. At this point, it's that general limitation that restricts it, and that general limitation is commonly referred to as the 1% limit. So every year the maximum levy increases by 1% plus a factor for new construction, which when we've looked at it oh, on over time on average that's about a 2% increase each year. So each year that maximum increases by 2%. If the port wanted to go above the maximum, it would require a vote of the people. Um, so within that maximum, the commission has full authority to vote, but beyond that requires a vote of the people. And uh, it, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but it's my understanding that there's a number of municipalities that are uh, considering um, asking the legislature to, to change that. Have you heard any, uh, because this 1% is not meant for a lot of municipalities real financial hardship as they face increased demand for services, a high inflationary environment, et cetera. Is there um, any discussion around that that you're familiar with? Yes, I think that discussion has heated up recently as inflation has outstripped that 1%. Um, the limit factor used to be 6%. And then there was a Tim Iman initiative, I've forgotten the year, I think it was back in the 1990s, <laughs> that, um, that reduce that 6% limit to 1%. And at the time, there was a lot of concern that that was going to be a problem for municipalities uh, because it's, it, it wouldn't keep up with inflation. But then we've gone through a period of very low inflation. And so um, it hasn't been as much of a problem as anticipated. Um, plus, some municipalities have been able to have uh, have other extra levies for various things that that are outside of their general levy um, to to get around that. But now, with inflation as high as it is, I think there is more uh, more interest in raising that levy limit. And what is the you know barring that one percent? Um, what is the port? specific uh, statutory limit? 45 cents. And we were per, per year increase. Uh, 40, sorry, 45 cents per thousand dollars of assessed value. So I believe that would translate into a maximum levy of over 300 million if we were able to be within that limit. But because the 1% limit is lower, we're we're bound by the way. Forgive me if you just said dollar signs. <laughs> wow, 300 million per year. That would fund a lot of uh, different projects. But um, I appreciate the background on the, the statutory maximum. That kind of helps to understand where that red line comes from on that on page seven. Appreciate it. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. Um, on slide 10, um, I know that in. Uh, Slide 27, you're going to break down some of these numbers, but it's not further, um, it doesn't further explain where some of these dollars are going. In particular, 
are we once the budget um, the proposed budget is published online will you further break down these these numbers on slide 10 around the environmental piece and then also the community programs I'm looking at like for instance the South King County Fund there are a no number of different cities that we're supporting and um, the CTAC community relief is called out on 27 but I am wondering is are we gonna see this further uh, broken down yes actually um, in the appendix on slide 27 and 28 gives detail of the community programs okay Great. and 29 gives detail of the capital plan the um, the environmental spending we do not break down because uh, that information is protected right correct um, and then I just had one last quick question on that slide um, on the capital section it goes from 28% to 15% um, how do you balance out the budget where is that other 13% coming from it's it's a little bit of a problem-solving exercise but we start with the priorities of of use of the levy and the capital spending is the last priority um, in the way we've approached this funding plan so whatever isn't funded with the tax levy we either look at general obligation bonds within our policy limits or we move it to the general fund uh, for funding very good thank you mm -hmm. Commissioner, Commissioner did you want to I'm sorry uh, Vice President, did, did we want to go to those slides? Did you want to look at those slides, or are you good? It's good. I will look at the appendix. That's That was helpful. Commissioner Fong. Thanks so much once again. I um, I was just wondering, in just generally, don't we usually pass the Seaport Alliance budget first before we get into this? Or was it because of my messing with the schedule, do my travel, that uh, we're going to do that Friday? So the alliance budget is typically right around the time of this presentation and I can't recall which is first or which is second typically um, but our passing of the port budget will occur after the passage of the alliance budget that's my understanding of the sequence so it's just this briefing that's coming before right but the obviously we, it's really the briefing isn't the issue it's the fact that we're publishing our draft budget this week before right so I, I just didn't know this I don't think this is typically the way it's done it's usually we have the Alliance revenue and debt is like taken right off the top and then we talk about the rest I mean, isn't that traditionally the way we've done this we do have a very iterative process with the Alliance <laughs> so we receive information from them and provide information to them throughout this whole budget process um, so it is incorporated as uh, as Scott will discuss the expected capital plan for the alliance is incorporated in our draft plan of finance. If you all change the capital plan um, at the alliance meeting, then we will follow up with when yeah. we do the final budget. With, with Thank you. Changes. It's a pretty dynamic process these days. So uh, I, I also appreciate in, in following up on Commissioner Mohammed's question about the uh, the environment, 25% jump from 8%. Now. I, I know we had the conversation last time that we were just going to sort of put aside like whatever it was I think it was 25 million dollars I think it's or I think that was the number that was thrown out there knowing that we we're going to bank it for future 
expense. Is this a assumed liability or is this just assuming we're banking some money? So that 25% number represents um, an estimate of the environmental remediation spending that will occur over the next uh, five-year period. And as, um, as Executive Director Metric mentioned in his comments, uh, we are in conversations with you, including today, about the possibility of taking some of the levy funds and setting them aside to fund some of these uh, expenses. Right. I mean, I just it just strikes me at some point, given the status of like the increase in salaries, for example, that there's, you know, new large and new large expenses and uh, other negative trends that just, you know, knowing when those expenses come up, it seems like we should be spending the money at the time. It would be nice if we had the luxury just to put it in the piggy bank, but it seems like at this moment that's not great, the, in my opinion. But the, um, I also see, like, if you look at going back to Appendix 28, um, on page 28, I'm sorry, you know, that it's not, the environment category is not just this liability. We, there, there's smaller things that are in there, like sustainable aviation fuel, air emission program, there's low carbon fuel standard, there's the airport community ecology funds, and the energy sustainability fund. What's interesting about some of those is that they're zeroed out. And so I don't, um, I, I see that the Sustainable Aviation Fuel and Air Emission Program is zeroed out for 2024. But when I asked about this at our last budget briefing, we were told there's like a million something to do this conventional pollutants program. So while it says zero here, we were told at the last meeting there's uh, over a million dollars to do that. And so. that's in the airport budget, that so it's not part of the tax levy. In the budget, very good. And so, and I, I guess I just don't understand what this low carbon fuel standard initiative, when we've passed the initiative, I don't know what we're putting money into. I guess it would just be good to get maybe a more detailed briefing on what some of those environmental programs that are beyond just cleanup liability issues. Um, I thought I had one other question was, um, so just, can can just get a point of reference, like, of, so we're going to get this additional uh, $4 million for the proposed increase, which is, result, which is basically comes out to an additional $10 per $850,000 household. Um, what, what, what is overall executive metric like what is the estimate increase in salary that we're going to be subject to this year we're, we'll be proposing five percent for um, um cpi plus two percent paper for yeah and, and do you have like a ballpark like that number overall the of the ballpark? overall number of that um of the total increase um i don't have that off the top of okay. my head but i mean like because that's the, an increase over our over our total um human capital or yeah, hey, it's just but a percentage I mean, increase. Yeah, this this is going to be, I think, a lot bigger number than what we're talking about increasing here and associated with uh, and I know inflation. This is this is a small increase given increasing environmental liabilities, increasing salaries, and decrease and increasing uh, inflation. So, and just in terms of when people say, "Why are you raising the levy?" There's a uh, 
a lot going on here that's not in the brightest picture. When you look at uh, all the all the factors you just talked about, including inflation against that, the four point eight percent, we balance a lot of those things when we come up with a proposed uh, with a proposed um, tax levy increase. All right, great. Well, thank you for that. Um, that one more question. Yes, of course. So uh, the I think I mention this every year, and I continue to. <laughs> I just want to emphasize on slide. Where is it? Too far, I think. On slide nine, uh, Elizabeth, we had a unique thing happen in that the overall property values decreased from 23 to 24. Is that what we're hearing? That's correct. That's based on the preliminary assessed value from the county. Okay. So when we say uh, based on that, the estimated medium home port tax is going from 80 to $90 that assumes that the total number of households remains the same correct because the way we we say we need x amount of money we're going to divide that prorata amongst all of the houses properties you know commercial properties etc in the county so if the median is static let's say then if we add more houses, more buildings, more taxable items, then that number would be spread over a greater number of total units, correct? So the, the uh, calculation is the levy that the commission sets divided by the amount of the assessed value. That sets the levy rate. That rate is applied to the value of houses. So then if more houses are added, more buildings are added in a given year, then that amount is spread over those, uh, they are then added to the, the, those who are taxed, correct? It's not uh, dependent on the number of houses. It depends on the calculated rate applied to the value of each house. And so what would happen is if more properties were added, assessed value would increase and the rate would decrease. And so each homeowner, assuming that value of the median home stays the same, would pay less than the $90. It, essentially what I'm saying is if more people are now bearing the burden of this, then any individual person would, as a percentage of the overall, would, would take on a lower burden. Is that correct? Yes, indirectly, yes. Okay. I just want to make sure that's so provided King County is growing, then um, we're spreading the burden over a larger number of businesses, residents that are paying that. So appreciate that. Thanks for the clarification. Executive Director Mitchick. I think just to add to that discussion, it's important, I think, as Elizabeth said, we set the amount. We don't, it's not like, in, and then if the numbers change, we don't bring in more because we set the percentage. We sent the amount and we work with the assessor on how to do that. That's an important point that we don't. Yes, it is. You know, we don't, we set very targeted and we're strategic about it and we don't, uh, if things change, we don't bring in extra funds. Point to reference the, I keep on saying this, but you keep on using that same picture on page nine of the house that's hardly, it's an $850,000 <laughs> median house, but certainly looks like mine. But um, it took an incredible hit on the evaluation. I'm happy 
that you know I'm not selling anytime soon, so my tax rate's down. But like a remarkable amount of money, like almost a hundred thousand dollars. And so you know, that that's a pretty radical change over one year. Thanks for that. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, can you talk about? Um, so it's not as if we could. Can we? Ex is the tax levied equally across King County cities? By law, it has to be applied equally. Okay. So That's the rate applied to the assessed value. It's not as if we could exempt Covington, which is far away from the airport and not on the flight path. And it's not as if we could exempt Des Moines, which is disparately impacted by airport operations. No, we have no control over that between state law and the county assessor. They would determine that. The exceptions are um, for low income elderly, they, they can be exempt from, from taxes. The, we the, don't get to the exception would be for low income folks or for the elderly, yeah. um, not for residents of a, of a, of a specific city. Correct. Um, are we allowed to dedicate a specific percentage of uh, levy resources to a city? The, the commission has wide latitude in how the levy is used within our statutory authority of how we spend money. So that would be the only limitation. And I see that 25% um, um, is projected to go towards environmental causes and 12% towards community programs. What are some of the tools that we have to make sure that um, that equity is part of our assessment when spending tax levy funds. The tax levy spending in those areas, well, the, for the community programs is determined by the commission and the programs that are approved by the commission. And so the use of the tax levy in that area is really uh, very discretionary. Um, the environmental spending is dictated by the liabilities associated with legacy projects or le legacy properties. And most of that is in the South King County Duwamish River area. Just this year, the commission rolled out a tool to be able to assess equity spend uh, through our overall budget. Is there a way to um, chop that up to take a look specifically at tax levy funds? We can look at the equity spending and what part of that is levy funded. Um, many th That's primarily operating expenses, which would be paid from operating revenues, but some of the expenses are levy funded. So we can break that out. Commissioner, if I can just talk about overall approach to this as well. If you, you look at environmental response for the uses of the tax levy, and you look at for geo bond, debt service, and then capital investments, those are, as we look at those, those are not broken down into, we operate two primary gateways, maritime and airport, of course, the aviation stands by itself, and we look at those investments, you know, in those that are benefited throughout King County. So even though that spend on the capital is within there, it's all the benefits. We know the economic benefits for all of those benefit everyone within King County. And that's, those are the capital investments. The operating of those gateways is the biggest way we impact the economy here in, uh, in King County and actually the rest of the state as well. So that's why you see a lot of the tax levy funds going towards capital 
which keeps those important um, gateways operating and maintaining those as we heard today. So I'm just saying is there's different ways on the community programs and the spend. We do use equity as we look at those, those communities that are, that are adjoining and making some of those community investments in, in, in those environmental cleanups are an important part of that and increase the quality of that too. I'm just saying we apply an overall uh, uh, approach to a balanced approach to how we spend the tax levy in doing those. And it, it it's, um, I think we can break down where some of those um, uh, tax levy uses in the spend go to, but it's not, it doesn't tell the whole story, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. And that's part of why having um, an equity index with a map available that shows disparately impacted environmental justice communities um, and how that overlays with the different programming and the different uh, resources that we're dedicating back into those communities could be really useful for all of us. So thank you so much for that explanation. Um, anything else from commissioners before we move on in the presentation? All right. Thank you and good afternoon. <clears throat> Next slide, please. So this slide provides a little background on the plan of finance. As you know, it's the funding plan for the port's five-year CIP. And as Steve noted, um, to begin, we also look you know, obviously beyond the five-year period uh, at some of the uh, ramifications and things sort of in the pipeline. And we'll touch on that a little bit on a, on a later slide. Um, this plan is provided each year to the commission as part of the budget process um, and is based on detailed um, operating and capital forecasts from um, our, our, our airport and non-airport lines of business, including the Northwest sea, Seaport Alliance. Um, from a funding perspective, uh, we do bifurcate this out between the airport and the non-airport businesses, as you know, due to FAA rules on revenue diversion. And like any forecast, uh, there will be changes, and the plan was created to be flexible and really help ensure that um, the port continues down a financially sustainable path. <clears throat> this plan also provides useful information to um, external stakeholders, such as investors, rating agencies, and, you know, provides some... Um, good information on the well-being and the port's approach to financial stewardship. Next slide, please. So this slide covers the comprehensive non-airport capital plan over the next five years, which totals 913 million. Just as a reminder, the non-airport CIP includes um, the CIP from Maritime and EDD, as well as the port's 50% share of the Northwest Seaport Alliance. Um, you were briefed by um, Stephanie Jones-Stebbins and Kelly Zupon and um, Dave McFadden at the last commission briefing on the Maritime and EDD CIP, and slide 38 in the appendix provides some of the background uh, at, at a project level um, for your reference. The Northwest Seaport Alliance um, budget briefing is this Friday, um, and you'll be briefed on their $420 million CIP. So our funding plan covers uh, the 210 million, which is our 50% share. The chart on the left shows the annual non-airport capital spending during the forecast period. And as you can see, the forecasted spending each year um, is greater than our prior year maximum annual spending for our non-airport businesses, which was back in 2009. So a significant amount of CIP in the pipeline. Next slide, please. So this slide covers the funding plan associated with that non-airport CIP that we just discussed. Operating sources um, account for 
44% uh, of the funding uh, in this plan. That includes operating cash, which includes both existing non-airport general fund balances and future non-airport revenues. Uh, in total, those will fund approximately $305 million. Um, most of the operating cash flow for the non-airport businesses is derived from the, from the Northwest Seaport Alliance. Um, and slide 39 in the appendix provides some of that breakout if you're interested in seeing some of the detail. The port is also able, <coughs> excuse me, able to leverage some of the non-airport um, uh, operating revenues in the form of future revenue bonds, which are assumed to fund 95 million of this CIP. Uh, the revenue bond capacity is due in part because of a decrease, decrease in existing revenue bond uh, debt service during the forecast period beginning in 2027. The tax levy um, is expected to fund approximately 52% of the CIP. This includes levy cash, existing geo bonds, and future geo bonds. As you know, geo bond debt service is paid from tax levy funds. And looking at the graph, um, you'll see 78 million of levy funding here. Um, that represents the levy cash funding of the CIP. We've got 45 million of remaining geo bond proceeds from a, uh, our prior geo bond issuance back in 2022. And we have forecasted the need for approximately 351 million of additional geo bonds um, during the forecast period. Some of this issuance may come as early as next year. Next slide, please. So aviation staff brief you on their um, on the airport CIP back on October 10th. Um, slide 36 in the appendix has some information on their $5 billion CIP. I'm not going to spend much time on the CIP itself, but this slide here will help cover the funding. Looking at the chart, revenue bonds ex are expected to fund over 80% of the airport CIP. This includes existing revenue bonds of about $400 million from uh, our prior two bond issuances that occurred in 2021 and 2022. We are also expecting nearly $3.6 billion of future revenue bonds um, to fund the airport CIP, a portion of which likely to come as early as next year. Operating cash at the airport is expected to fund over 630 million of their CIP. Um, this includes both existing cash and future airport cash flows. Um, the airport has been building up their cash balances towards uh, 18 months O&M liquidity target, which is expected to be reached by 2025. <clears throat> the airport does have some other unique funding sources for its capital plan, um, the biggest of which is capital grants. Um, we've got nearly 360 million of capital grants grant funding for the airport CIP. These are almost entirely um, entitlement grants from the FAA, so they're AIP grants or the bipartisan infrastructure law. Next slide, please. So this is, I think, an important slide and, and going back to what we touched on previously about the importance of looking beyond just the five-year horizon. Um, this helps us avoid making financial decisions now that, are, that may benefit us now, but have in adverse impacts in the future. This slide outlines some of the key considerations and outcomes um, as it relates more specifically towards that longer term view. So looking at the left, on uh, touching on a few of the assumptions that I think are important, we've talked about environmental. As we discussed with you at the July retreat, the port is anticipating and planning for known legacy environmental remediation costs that will require significant resources, particularly in that second five-year period. In terms of capital investments, we expect to have a continued need for capital investments 
um, at both our airport and non-airport properties. As mentioned at the last commission briefing, um, Maritime and EDD have identified over 400 million of capital pro uh, projects um, that were postponed or deferred during the current five-year force forecast period that we continue to be mindful of. And community programs, we are assuming a continuation of funding uh, needed for the various community programs at about the level we're funding them now. Um, and we talked about some of that detail can be found in the appendix, uh, particularly pages 27 and 28. Shifting to the right, looking at some of the results, the good news is that we can, um, you know, based on this plan, we could fund almost 700 million of non-airport CIP in that second five-year period. So this would include funding capacity for most of the 400 million of postponed or deferred maritime and EDD projects. One of the potential risks, however, is the need to maximize um, debt funding, both geo bonds and revenue bonds to support this, these higher costs. So meaning the port would be fully leveraged within our established financial targets. So what does this all mean? It means the port's ability to respond to adverse or unintended or unanticipated events may require reducing spending or increasing the tax levy above the 75% that Elizabeth mentioned. Next slide, please. So the recommendations are a reiteration of the bottom line up front that Executive Director Metric reviewed. Uh, we recommend continuing to manage the tax levy in a, a balanced way that provides for financial resilience and supports the port's good credit rating over the long term. Uh, we recommend preserving some levy capacity so that we can address higher environmental spending or in adverse changes to income uh, that might require uh, increases in the tax levy above that 75% of the maximum target. Uh, and we recommend considering setting aside some funds for environmental remediation. This would likely be a gradual approach, setting some funds aside um, over time to address the environmental remediation uh, uh, costs in the future. Next slide, please. So, Slide 18 covers some of the finance initiatives um, that may be brought forward to the commission over the next year or so. Uh, as mentioned previously, a significant portion of the airport CIP is expected to be funded with future revenue bonds, and we expect a portion of that funding to come from a new bond issuance next year. Staff will also continue to monitor um, the non-airport CIP and assess whether geo bonds will be needed uh, in 2024 as well. The port does have outstanding debt um, outstanding revenue bond debt there is actually callable um, and callable next year that may be able to be refunded for interest savings depending on market conditions. Um, the staff continuously monitors its outstanding debt for such opportunities to refi refinance at lower costs. <clears throat> Finance staff will also continue to manage the port's variable rate debt credit agreements and renewals over the next year. And we are expecting to complete our uh, financial advisor procurement later this year or early next year. Finally, the finance staff will continue to evaluate any funding alternative alternatives that may be applicable, including TIFIA loans. This concludes our presentation. Happy to answer questions. Commissioners, questions for staff? Commissioner Mohammed. 
Thank you for that presentation. Um, yeah, I have a question around um, the city of SeaTax community relief. Is there someone that could speak to that, that specific investment? I, I can take that on. Uh, so That's that, the, I, the ILA, right? Yes, yeah. yes it's a 1.4 million payment to the city of SeaTac each year as part of an interlocal agreement with the city that allowed for the Port of Seattle to do its own permitting so we don't have to go through the city of SeaTac in order to get construction permits, which greatly expedites our ability to deliver capital. So this is permitting, not programs, or just it's dollars used that for safety, um, specifically within the city of SeaTac. So it, the the use isn't related to permitting, but the the genesis of the payment was in this ILA that included, you know, they gave us the permitting authority, and we gave them 1.4 million a year for safety. Commissioner, you may be more familiar with it uh, through your uh, joint advisory hey. committee participation. I think you had may have some sort of approval coming through their recommendation. Yeah, and I asked the question because um, it's coming up in the public. Um, there are a number of local city council members outside of the city of SeaTac who's interested in knowing what this dollar amount is and how come their city is not receiving the same sort of contribution. So it's helpful to hear um, exactly what these dollars are going, going towards. I did mention to many of them that I serve on JAC and exactly what those dollars is, but I, it's, it's good for transparency purposes and for us to be accountable to, to the public. Um, I had another question that's somewhat similar is the South King County uh, Fund. Those dollars go to um, organizations that are serving South King County, cities like Des Moines, Berrien, Federal Way, SeaTac uh, as well. Um, the question that I had about, and I, it, the question that I have around that investment, I don't know if there's someone here or online that could just briefly speak to it. Um, when we're making that investment in the South King County funds, are the local cities being consulted? My understanding is yes, but I just wanna make sure that, I don't know if that's a government relations question, but that's also another thing that I've heard. And I think um, since this, these dollars are coming out of the tax levy dollars and their community investments, it would be helpful for us to just explain what that process looks like. And if they're not being consulted, it is an opportunity for the commission to consider including um, consulting those cities and seeing if that is an area of investment that we would like to make. Well, I think that's done, you know, not we can talk, get you more additional information. It's done through an RFP process, I believe. So that's, I have to look to see, I don't know. There's a review of the RFPs and, and uh, I'm not sure if there's other processes in that where the city would be appropriate to consult with them as part of that process, but that's something definitely we can take a look at. Yeah, the, not so much of when the RFP goes out and we're trying to um, contract with organizations, but the, it's the pre-work that I'm talking about. Do we consult this, the local cities before we even get to the step of um, putting out an RFP and, and thinking about contracting? My understanding is, is yes, but I just want to be able to confirm that as we're talking about these tax levy dollars and we're um, moving forward on some of these actions. So if someone can come back to me with that information, that would be we helpful. We can get back to you on that, Commissioner. Perfect, thank you. That concludes my questions. Commissioner Calkins. 
Uh, no, I, I mean, I think we've had a lot of, from the budget retreats through the summer to this, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see this uh, move toward um, a little bit of uh, the development of a fund moving forward that will allow us to um, quickly meet our obligations associated with environmental cleanups in particular. So I just want to call that out. I think that's a that's a really responsible thing to do that, that when um, we first started talking about it, I used the metaphor of my own experience as a dad of three kids saving for college. Like I know that that's out there and I know I want to be ready for it. And um, although my kids won't get the benefit of the college education until they take it, you know, I, I'm going to start saving now to make sure that that's available to them. And so in, in much the same way, you know, the what damage was done in the past um, and will be cleaned up as quickly as possible. We want to just make sure that finances are not the issue that, that uh, prevents us from doing that. Commissioner Feldman. But the alternate way that we've been dealing with this liability that always hangs over our head is keeping that buffer of the levy to be able to increase it when needed, right? So that's we can hedge our bets depending on when when we know that these expenses are coming up and get we actually have a, a very wide range of what our liability is right now and so as that is worked out I, I, I certainly agree that we can't welch on our responsibilities but I just know that there's different ways of approaching banking that capacity and so that that to me is very important the thing that I mentioned that the last time we discussed when you look at the the, the levy, um, the, the chart that, you know, shows versus maximum versus the, um, you, you know, you provide us with your best judgment. We have very little reason to question it, but it's one line, right? So you, you don't provide us with, and if we did this, we would be short that, or if we did this, we would have, you know, greater risk of, you know, default, whatever. And, um, so and, and so what I was asking previously, you're using best judgment based on all kinds of information we'll never have access to. But um, the, the question in terms of are there some places where you're being more conservative and other places where you're being more bullish? I mean, is there in the course of trying to evaluate this net judgment of yours, um, like what's the inflation rate going to be? You, you, you don't really give us the, the kind of the rationale behind your where you drew that line and, and by not providing a range of bounds to look at, it's, you know, we've trusted you all along. Our, we are, we're very good at uh, doing our budgeting. And so I, I just think from a transparency perspective, though, it would be just kind of good to be able to say, based on X, Y, or Z, this is why we're putting this forward. And having a range of choices, right? Can we just have this? Sure. That's that's a very good point. Um, I believe at the budget retreat we showed you what would happen if we increased the levy by five percent each year, and within ten years we hit the maximum. So that would be one option to uh, to <coughs> assume a higher increase each year uh, to to tap into the, those funds. Now, um, the recommendation is to leave some of the uh, of that gap between the maximum and the actual levy so that when we hit something either 
you know, the uh, remediation payment that's coming sooner than we had anticipated or a downturn in the economy that needs to be addressed, we, we have that cushion. So we do try to balance uh, realism and conservatism in, in this planning. I would not say it's overly conservative, but, but uh, it's resilient. And having things like our financial policies and that cushion at 75% of maximum uh, for planning purposes uh, provides a resiliency that allows us to not be overly conservative in other areas. So if we could look at slide seven. Of the levy portion, sorry. Elizabeth, how much, uh, going back, how much of the gap between the actual levy and the maximum allowable levy can we go back and 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 then ask for from the 2010 or 2015 property owner? So we can't go back and get levy that we didn't assess okay. in so prior years. It isn't bankable then. We Pardon? if we don't ask for it now, we can't go back and ask for it later. And so my point is, we're trying to balance between at, at a time when. Uh, there is a little bit of space and uh, to, to take a little bit more bank it now for that future liability. Uh, if we don't divert those dollars, they're gone for good. Whereas, I, and I think this is the balance that we're talking about. The, the recommendation is, sure, you could take the maximum allowable and put that in a bank and that would make it easier for some future commission because you'd have a little bit more but instead of going that far, let's do a reasonable amount to begin that process. And I really appreciate staff effort over the course of, of this process to say, in fact, we don't need to increase it that much because there are some uh, there is some cash flow that we can access from this year's budget and transfer over. And so instead of you know, taking an enormous new jump in the levy to begin this fund, we actually have the cash flow to be able to do it now. And I think that's a reasonable balance between a marginal increase in the levy to support this and also uh, banking some of the um, additional cash flow that we have generated this year to get this thing started. And I think that's, as you said, a, a reasonably conservative way to, to um, start this process of, of creating a kind of rainy day fund or whatever we end up calling it. Thanks. Well, I like to think of myself as the primary target for uh, con consuming this document that you've produced. Um, and I um, am pleased to have received it. Thank you all for this book of goodness um, and for the very thorough presentation. The commission, um, a very, very small piece of this are, have been, um, are represented by commission asks. And, um, and it's a, it, um, those commission asks are based upon what we hear all year and all term long from the constituency. So as a primary targeted our audience of this document, one of the things that I would love to be able to easily see and convey is how commission asks um, have been pitched or considered or approved. Um, if this is the final document. 
I'd just like to recommend a section either in the index or in the or the appendices um, that summarizes commissioner asks and totals. That would be really helpful for us um, in that continued effort for this document to tell the story of how we're honoring our triple bottom line. So um, with that, without any, yes. All right. <laughs> I've been trying to get my head around that question too. Sure. So like of the, if the community programs are 19,728 offhand, and, um, but the, uh, the levy is generating 86.7 million. So if you just look at, it's like 23% of the, of the overall levy revenue goes to community programs. As Executive Metric pointed out though, the, healthy organization is contributing to the triple bottom line that we have communities benefiting from the revenues that we generate as well but if we look at the um, the, the the levy or, or actually if you just look at our our 19 million dollars as compared to the 1.4 billion dollar budget of the organization to your point it's a it's a very small number so sometimes I, I kind of think that you know, mm -hmm. we're never going to balance the budget on the back of community programs. I mean, we right. can we can triple the community programs, and it still is pretty close to irrelevant to the bigger picture of things. I don't want to say irrelevant, but it's just I think important to keep in mind the the context, the relative issue of these community programs relative to a 1.4 billion dollar budget. And I think that's sort of where you were getting at. It's just good to be able to frame it as best I could. Thanks. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I mean, obviously, to, to that point, the community benefits from all of the operations that we are working on. We are a public agency, so whether that is what's happening at our waterfront to the airport, they are benefiting from that. Um, but I think they are most interested in talking about the tax levy dollars when we're, we're out there. I know that um, Dave Kaplan is here, uh, who is with our um, local our local government relations manager, I think Dave would like to speak on um, the question that I asked earlier, and I did check in before I called him up here so everyone can relax. <laughs> I, happen to be up, I happen to be upstairs but overheard the question, so I raced down here in case there was nobody here to answer it. Um, Dave Kaplan, local government relations manager for the port. Um, your question regarding the South King County Fund, um, the the law, state law that allows for um, uh, the funding of programs uh, to local community organizations is a very narrow focused one and requires those uh, projects to actually happen on public land. Cities typically tend to be the primary landholder in a, in a jurisdiction, but so are school districts. So for example, there are projects and in fact I think some of the grants that have been given out have been for projects that have been on school district grounds. So uh, as long as it's on public property, uh, those nonprofit organizations. So they have to work with the city, obviously, because the city gives the approval on, on that being located on their property in the same way that the school district would if it was on school district property. So then are you saying yes to um, us or your team consulting with the local cities, the South King County cities before those projects go into action before we even talk about an RFP process. Are, are the local city council members or departments aware 
um, of, of the South King County Fund and our intention of wh where the investments are going to go. AJ McClure and, and, and Elise Aiden could answer that better, mm -hmm. um, but uh, they do have the conversations with the juris local jurisdictions uh, because one of the questions that's posed is, have you actually had that conversation with who you're going to put your property, whose property you're going to do the work on? On the application. Great. Well, thank you for that that answer. And I, I think as we talk about renewing that fund and it coming out of the tax levy dollars, I just want to underscore that. So if AJ and Elise are listening, um, please note that. Thank you. Commissioners, do we have any other comments? I, 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 Dave, before you leave. So um, it does help me here for one second, because you know the airport, um, the flight safety corridor, right, where we cut, can cut trees on private property. Um, we're also authorized to be able to plant trees on private property. So I'm, I'm just wondering, it, this may be just apples and oranges here, but you know, it's public money going into private property, but you know, one giveth, one taketh away. I'm not sure how that's. <laughs> Maybe pertinent. Well, regarding flight corridor safety program, we followed the local jurisdiction's requirements in terms of tree replacement and what the property owner wants in terms of in terms of that. Um, in terms of the obviously on our own property, we've been following the commission's guidance on the four to one placement and the maintenance of property from there. My point was just in terms of our ability to spend our dollars on private property. That was the. You know, I might be able to. It's related to it's related yeah. to mitigation for the fact that we that we're having to remove the trees for safety reasons. So, I, uh, and this is Pete Ramos for the general counsel for the port. Uh, I think if I'm tracking right, uh, our environmental uh, our ACE fund for environmental projects uh, does happen on public lands under the state statute. So there's a limitation for that specific program. Flight corridor program is different authority completely. They're two separate statutory schemes. Is that Go to your question. I, I didn't know whether it was an overall yeah. application. Yes. And it's also supported through state law, but yeah. Thank you. All right, commissioners, do we have any other questions or comments from staff? Is there a special part three to the presentation we don't know about? <laughs> All right. We won't spring that on you. <laughs> well, very good. Thank you so much. And that concludes our business meeting agenda for the day. Thank you very much for the presentation. Um, commissioners, do you have any closing comments at this time or motions relating to committee referrals from at all? Anything, any exciting travels coming up that anybody would like to share about? I think we just send Sam for all that stuff at this point, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> just our globetrotter. Yes. Well, I, I did have the pleasure of just coming back from Portugal where we attended the Green Ports Conference where we learned about with uh, Sandy Krilroy as well that um, a lot about alternative fuels and um, things that ports can do to service that also got a chance to meet with the folks at Principal Power, learning about their interests in offshore wind in our area. And uh, overall, it was a really kind of a, a great collection of people from different disciplines that made for a very productive thing. And I'm hoping that Sandy and I will be able to uh, put together a better um, summary of details for you at another time. 
Commissioner Feldman, I think you also have a keynote at a uh, ecotourism conference that you helped kickstart last year that's currently taking place in Yakima that you're driving yeah, to so right Yeah, so because I just came back from one place, I have to go run. And Snoqualmie's got snow in it right now. So yeah, tonight I leave to go to Yakima on Thursday. There's uh, the, the, the sustainable tourism component of the statewide tourism conference that we created last year is now being carried on by the Washington State Tourism Office. And so they asked me to kick off the conference, which was very nice of Dave Lamford. Thank you for reminding me. Thank you for reminding us. Well, since you asked, I am also leaving on Friday to Abu Dhabi um, to participate in the World Ports Conference, IAPH. Um, I did participate in it last year, it was down the street though, it was in Vancouver. <laughs> so this is going to be a, a longer trip and it was very informative. I'm looking forward to going there, gaining new knowledge and bringing that back to the Port of Seattle. Thank you. All right. Uh, Executive Director Metric, do you have any closing comments for us today? No, thanks uh, commissioners and thanks for the items you passed today and thanks for your feedback, especially here on the budget as we uh, come to the conclusion of those discussions on that. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And hearing no further comments and no further business. If there is no objection, then we are adjourned at 2.44 p.m. <laughs>